Good morning. Today's reading is from John 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. Not many of you singing along this morning. Some in the back there. The Beatles, the Beatles said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? Is that, hopefully my theology is a little bit better than that. Good morning, everybody. Hey to everyone online as well. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you're here with us as we wrap up a nine-week series on the emotions of God. And today we get to finish with... Love, of course. That seems like a fitting end. I have really uh, enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed the book a lot, our big read that has gone along with it, and the interview that we did with the author of that book, David Lamb, last week. I've really enjoyed the art that our creative community has been doing up here every week, incorporating. Yeah, I'll give them a round of applause. Yeah, Corey and Sarah up there right now, and Jess has been a part of that as well, and um, we've got one more contribution from all of you to make today in order to finish uh, the project. One of the things that I've really liked about this series is that it's kind of stirred up some uh, topics for us that generally can cause some angst. Uh, it's difficult for us to talk about emotions sometimes, or it's difficult for us interpersonally to deal with emotions, but then when you throw on an all-powerful God who is also experiencing or expressing some of those emotions, it can pull out uh, a little angst in us or maybe cause us to bristle a little bit. Um, but we don't want to sweep those things under the rug, those kinds of emotions in any way. We don't want to ignore them in any way. We don't want to ignore them in ourselves with the emotions that we're experiencing. And we don't want to ignore what God is expressing to us as well. Like, oh man, God is angry. I think I'm just going to look the other way here, please. Their emotions are really important. And historically, we've probably done more to kind of suppress our emotions and to ignore them than not. But on the flip side of that, now in more recent times, 
we've actually moved more toward our emotions, put a primary focus on them, and sometimes we even kind of ignore some uh, other thought patterns and let our emotions kind of take control of everything that we're experiencing. Now, emotions are really important. They are core to who we are as human beings. We do not at all want to ignore them. That causes harm to us when we do that. And yet at the same time, if we're hyper-focused on our own emotions and we're letting them dominate everything that we experience and how we interpret them, that's going to cause a problem as well. Um, Think about it this way. You don't want to put your emotions in the trunk of the car, but you also don't want to put your emotions in the driver's seat either. But they are certainly a passenger along for the ride of your entire life. And so they need to be acknowledged. And I appreciate that in this series, there's been a lot of that that's been happening, hopefully for you individually as well. And now we get to move on to our next series next week, which is Pray. We're going to be spending uh, the summer focused on prayer and seeing a lot of what the Bible has to say about prayer, but also engaging ourselves more, hopefully, in the activity of prayer. And like Denise said, we're having some prayer and worship nights throughout the summer that we'd love for you to participate in. There'll be some other opportunities for you to engage more in prayer as well. Uh, But before we get to that today, we got to wrap up our series, and we're going to start that with a little drawing exercise, which you have that little piece of paper, right? And you have a pencil with you as well. Um, I gave that to you because there's a person here in the church who regularly, when she's here, she draws uh, pictures while the person is up here teaching or speaking, and usually draws something that has to do with kind of the main theme or idea of what the person is saying. And I have a collection of those that she's given me over the years as she's drawn things while I'm up here teaching. So the invitation for you is that while I'm up here jabbering away, you can draw something, really anything, on that piece of paper. Maybe you want to draw something that kind of expresses or depicts one of the emotions that we've talked about of God in this series. Or maybe you want to draw something, just kind of an image that came into your mind while we were worshiping together. Um, Or maybe it's just a feeling that you've been having lately that you want to depict. Really, it could be anything. And maybe you're like, dude, I'm not artistic. This is not my thing. I don't plan on drawing on this piece of paper. All right, I can't make you do it, but I do, and I would invite you to do it. It might be good for you to be able to draw out something that is in your mind or that you're feeling uh, right now. So we'll come back and we'll revisit that. But first, we got to wrap up the emotions of God. And the emotions that we have talked about this whole series have been God's hatred, God's anger, God's jealousy. God's sorrow, God's joy, God's compassion, and today we get to finish with love. And God's love is a worthy emotion to give our attention to today. But first, let me tell you a story to demonstrate my stupidity. We were, uh, there was a group of us, I think it happened here at the church recently, 
maybe it was some people on staff, we were all talking about houses. And we were talking about our houses for some reason. I can't remember if somebody was buying or selling a house or moving or whatever. Maybe they were painting their house. I don't really remember. But somewhere in the course of that conversation, someone asked me, Mike, what color is your house? And I said, oh yeah, my house is... I have no idea what color my house is. Not a clue. Couldn't even tell you the, the basic area of the color spectrum it's in. I could tell you a lot about my house. I could tell you the layout of my house. I could tell you where the furniture is at. I could tell you what we do, the different activities in different rooms. I could tell you what the garden is like outside and what plants are there. I could tell you how many square feet the house has. I could tell you what year it was built in or how many owners were there previous to us. I'm pretty familiar with my house, but I have never paid attention to the color of my house. Maybe in some ways, that's how it is for us when it comes to the love of God. One of the challenges in talking about or in thinking about the love of God is that it's something we are very familiar with, the concept of the love of God. We hear about it. We talk about it. Maybe you've even said those words to somebody that God loves you. But has it connected with us? deep in our minds, deep in our hearts, and ultimately deep in our souls. Like a house that I could describe really well, but don't know the color of, the familiarity that I have with the love of God is one thing, but connecting to it is another thing. So we're just going to really lean into this idea of familiarity this week uh, by having our passage be what might be the most well-known passage of the Bible ever. In fact, if you've never read the Bible before, or even if this is like your first time stepping foot in a church, there's a good chance you've heard these words before from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. We're going to keep this verse up here the whole time so that you can just keep looking at it. And look, there's even some additional art up there that maybe will be some inspiration for you in your doodling, because you are doodling something right now, right? Right, thank you. (laughs) How much... Has this verse connected with my emotions? How much has it uh, captured my attention? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I know the words. I could tell you what they are in Greek. I'm familiar with it, but do I know the color of it? I don't necessarily know the color of the verse. Have I paid attention to all the aspects of it. The second thing that is kind of a challenge within uh, talking about the love of God is that, and it's related, that sometimes we have a lack of personal belief in it. Like we can accept generally that God is loving, right? Yeah, 
well, yeah, God is loving. Like the Apostle John wrote, God is love. Of course he's loving. He created everything. God loves the world. That makes sense. That's his job. He better love the world. But he doesn't love me. I mean, he loves everybody else. But he doesn't love me. He's a little bit disappointed in me. He knows that I've come up short. I'm the blemish of his creation, which he loves otherwise. This is part of the challenge that we have when thinking about the love of God. I'll tell you a story here um, from my time in college. I was in my late 20s. Um, I had been a Christian for a few years by that point. And uh, I was kind of experiencing a little bit of a crisis of faith where I kept asking, God, do you really love me? Do you love me? And I was at, in a Bible college, so I was studying Bible and I was studying theology. And yet at the same time, I was going, do you love me, God? Do you actually love me? During this time, I was in this class called Advanced Writing. And Advanced Writing was the most difficult class that I have ever taken in all of my undergraduate work and in all of my graduate work. This was the class that caused me the most problems. It was really challenging because the whole class was based on one paper that you crafted over the entire semester. It was like a thesis assignment. And then at the end of the semester, you not only had to turn in the paper, but you had to defend it orally in front of a panel, which was really intimidating. Everybody knew it was the hardest class in the school. And so the teacher, the professor, provided coaches to help through the process for all of the students as they were working through their paper in the semester. So I was meeting with my coach one day in the cafeteria at school, and I can picture the scene very well. It has stuck in my mind. I know the table we were sitting at. I know where we were sitting. I know what the scene was like. And he was talking to me about my arguments for my thesis and helping me to hone them a little bit. And he brought up this idea of value. And he said, how do you, uh, how do you know when something is valuable? How do you know what its worth is? And I said, oh, well, it's all about uh, how much somebody is willing to give in order for something. That's what determines the value. And suddenly this verse popped into my head. And I realized that this was the value that people had in God's eyes that he would give his one and only son for them. I understood value in the context of this verse and suddenly it captured my attention. I started crying at the table uh, because it had connected with me. It had gone from being something I was familiar with to something that had connected with me personally that I saw my value in light of this verse and what God was doing. There's a, a fourth century church father. Uh, you may not have heard of this one. His name is uh, Hilary of Poitiers. And uh, he has this quote uh, when he's uh, talking about the Trinity. And he says, uh, he says, the greatness of the surrender is evidence of the greatness of the love. 
And it captures that idea here that we see in John 3.16. Where are you at with this verse? Where are you at with this idea of the love of God? Is it overly familiar for you? Do you believe it for yourself personally that God loves you? Do you know the color of it? Has it connected with you in some way? Has it captured your attention? This idea of attention has been uh, a main idea for me in all of my pastoral ministry. For years, the core of what I've thought I do is to move people's attention toward God. And so you've probably heard me say that word a lot over the years. But it's kind of around the main idea for this particular sermon today that I'd love to get across to you in some way. And that is that being attentive connects you with the love of God. Being attentive connects you with the love of God. So let's get a picture of what this love is like by putting our attention on a few different words within our passage here in John 3.16. The first word that I want to draw your attention to is the word so. For God so loved the world. It's a small little uh, word in English, but it's a heavy lifter. All kinds of things that this little word so can do. It can do things um, like signal agreement. Um, The bathrooms at church are inconveniently located outside. So they are. It can be used as a logical connector to kind of signify the same thing as therefore. Mike doesn't know the color of his own house, so I've lost respect for him. (laughs) It could be used defensively. So what if I don't know the color of my own house? It could be used to signal how great something is. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. For many of us, we've probably thought about this verse in that way. But there's another way that so can be used, and it's to kind of designate how something happens. Kind of like the the word thus or thusly, right? You use that word a lot, I'm sure. It means in this way. God loved the world In this way. And in fact, that's what the Greek word behind the word so actually means. It means in this way. Now, you and I, we want to be loved. You and I need to be loved. It is a core need that we have as humans that need to be loved. But sometimes we get confused about the way we want to be loved, how we want to be loved. Sometimes for us, love means you're going to give me what I want. That's how you show me that you love me. Or maybe it's that I desire love that doesn't require anything of me, that doesn't have particular expectations that are on me. Or maybe I have certain ideas in my mind that this certain way is the way that I receive love, and I don't really receive love in these other ways. Back to that story in college, 
I wanted God to demonstrate his love for me in specific ways, in ways that I could see and recognize because I wasn't feeling loved by God. And I wanted to feel loved by God, and so I was asking him to demonstrate that to me in certain ways. But that moment in the cafeteria is when uh, my mind was a bit open to, okay, God has shown me how he has loved me. And anytime I don't feel that love or anytime I am questioning it or doubting it, I can return to this verse and many others like it in the Bible that show me that God has loved me and specifically how he has loved me. And this is how he has done it. With this kind of love, so I'm going to draw our attention to that word now, love, for God so loved the world. Actually, first, I'm going to draw your attention to this piece of art here. Not this one, but that one right there. Uh, This is art by Michael Murphy, and it's something that he calls perceptual art. And when you look at it, you see an eye, and it's made up of all of these dots Uh, that kind of form that eye, and it looks like a pretty simple simple art expression. Um, But as you get a broader view of what this art looks like, you begin to see that there's actually a whole lot more depth to the art that he's created. And it's not just made up of a bunch of dots, it's actually made up of 2,500 little spheres that are hanging in the air in precise Location, so that when you see it in one view, you see an eye, but if you take a different view, you see something that is far richer and far greater. There's a way in which God's love is really simple. The Beatles, all you need is love. But actually, God's love is far more rich than that. It has a lot more depth to it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in the first century, and he said this about God's love. He said, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is why I loved this series on the emotions of God, because it didn't matter what emotion we were going through on any particular week, we always kept returning to the love of God pretty much every single week. And that's because God's hatred, God's anger, God's jealousy, God's sorrow, God's joy, God's compassion exist because of his love. They are a byproduct of his love, or they are in relationship to his love. This is why uh, last week when we were interviewing David Lamb, the author of the book, he said, God is love. Whatever he does is going to be driven by that aspect of his character, that aspect of love. And God's love drove him to do what we see here in John 3.16. It is a sacrificial love. It is 
completely self-giving. God has done the most, the absolute most that he can do in order for people to know that he loves them. There's nothing else that he could have done. John Chrysostom is another fourth century church father. He said this about God's love. He gladly goes hungry so that you may be fed naked so that he may provide you with the materials for a garment of incorruption. That is an incredible quote there. He'll go hungry so that you can be fed and he'll go naked so that you can be clothed with incorruption. He has given up everything he possibly can for you, not so that he can stand at a distance and not so that you can stand at a distance, but so that he can be known by you and so that you can be known by him. This is what God has done throughout all of humanity. He has always made a way for people to be known by God and for God to be known by people. Dr. Kurt Thompson, he's a psychiatrist and he's a follower of Jesus and he wrote a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. Uh, he's written at least one other book, uh, maybe more, I'm not sure. Um, he talks about in this book that he's talking about uh, how our mind um, really relates to who God is and to uh, how we relate to other people as well. And he says one of the most important things or the most important thing for how a person experiences change in life is if they are known by others. And in particular, if they are known by God. It's one thing to know that God loves you. It's another thing to rest so securely in that love that you can allow yourself to be known by others and you can allow yourself to be known by God. And you need that security because being known is being vulnerable. It's being exposed to other people. It's putting all the guilt and the shame and the junk out on the table to be seen by other people. But this is how we experience forgiveness and healing and care and encouragement when we are known by others, when those things are laid out on the table. This isn't a, a shallow kind of love. The more shallow the relationship is, the less love that is really there. But God's not in this for a shallow relationship. He's in it for something that is deep and that is enduring, that has a lot of depth to it. John goes on here in our passage, and he begins to talk about light and darkness. He says here in verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. 
I love the darkness. Literally, I love the darkness. When I get here to the church and I'm the first one here, uh, even in the winter when it's really dark, I don't turn any of the lights on. I just wander around the building, get to my office, put my things down, and then I'll even fumble through the dark, then make coffee in the dark, and then I'll go back to my office and sit back down in the dark. Or even at night, after I'm done cleaning the kitchen, I've done all the dishes, the first thing I'm going to do when I'm done with all that is turn off all the lights. Sorry, honey. We're just going to sit in the dark for a little while. (laughs) It's peaceful for me. But there's another kind of darkness that I like as well. It's the darkness that keeps you from knowing who I truly am. Because you're not going to like everything that you see when you know truly all of who I am. Or at least, that's what I think. I try to hide myself from God at times as well. And I do that by not being honest with myself and with God about the things that I'm feeling, the things that I've experienced in life, the things that I'm thinking about again and again and again, particularly those negative things maybe that I feel. Or if I'm not paying attention to God's love, There's another way that I'm not being known by God, that I'm trying to live in the darkness. John says here, we don't like to be exposed. But when we live in the truth, we are seen and known in the light. And we're not condemned, but instead we experience eternal life. When I keep myself hidden, when I'm not allowing myself to be known by others and to be known by God, that's when I'm walking in the darkness and I'm not experiencing the love that God has, that love that he has for the whole world. Which brings us to the third word to bring your attention to, and that's world. For God so loved the world. In uh, verse 19 here in our passage, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You know, evil is kind of a hard word there, but really just think about the contrast between what's good and what's bad. What's good is from God and what is bad is not from God. And John is making this connection between the word world and what is evil or what is bad or what is not of God. And this is consistent with what he does throughout his gospel and most of his letters that he has in the New Testament as well, that the world represents all of the systems and structures of the human kingdoms of earth that are in contrast to the kingdom of God. And mostly those systems, those structures, those kingdoms of people can be characterized as those that don't trust God, that generally turn away from God, or just generally unjust all around to other people as well. God so loved the world 
the world that was in darkness, that had done nothing to commend itself to God. That's the world that God gave his son to. The Apostle Paul wrote uh, to uh, the Roman church, the church in Rome. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever felt like maybe God loves you a little bit less because you're having a bad week? Maybe because you're, you think you're not giving him the attention that God really wants? Maybe because you're doing something that you know you probably shouldn't be doing? Or maybe it's just that you feel like you've fallen short in some way. You don't quite measure up. God's got to love you a little bit less. But God showed the greatest possible expression of his love to people, to humanity, when humanity had absolutely nothing to offer, when there was no reason at all for God to do that other than because of his character, because of who he is. Because he is going after people and he's been committed to doing that. And that love that he has is a constant love. It's one that isn't going to change based on what kind of a week I happen to be having. I can change the color of my house. Maybe it changed this week. I really don't know. <laughs> but I'm not going to change the love of God. That part is consistent. It is there. Regardless of what kind of day you're having, regardless of what kind of week you're having at any moment, all you have to do is turn your attention back to God. Okay, so maybe some of this is new for some of you. And if it is, I hope and I pray that, that hearing about the love of God in that way sinks down deep and connects with you in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. For many of you, I'm guessing this is stuff that you've actually heard before. You've heard about the love of God. But how many of us, regardless of whether we've heard about it or not, want to have some sense of a deeper connection with the love of God? This comes down to a part of the passage here just before John 3.16. And Jesus is talking at this time. He's talking to Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who's come to visit him in the darkness, by the way. And Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. It's kind of a funny thing that Jesus is saying here, but he's referring back to his story in the book of Numbers. 
Now, Numbers, the book of Numbers, tells the story about how the Israelites had received the Ten Commandments and the instructions, the law, the Torah of God at Mount Sinai, and they were setting out from Mount Sinai to get to the promised land, and they took a little bit of a detour along the way. And also along the way, they complained a lot to God, and in one particular instance, they were saying how they would rather be slaves in Egypt than to be with God out in the wilderness, wandering around. And so God decided to show them what it was going to be like without him around. And so he removed his protection from them and poisonous snakes came and attacked the Israelites. And Moses, the man of God, he went to God and he pleaded on behalf of the Israelites and said, please help them. And so God said, make a bronze snake and attach it to the end of a pole and show it to the Israelites. And any of them that looks at the bronze snake will be healed. Anyone who gives their attention and trusts me will be healed. This is critically important. What we fix our attention on is important. And this is how we make a connection with the love of God and what our own experience is. The most fundamental aspect of our faith, this is what I communicate to our kids, and when I worked in kids' ministry, this is the type of thing I would say, that more than anything else, what God wants from you is your attention and your trust. That's what God wants from you. He wants your attention and he wants your trust. Kurt Thompson, the psychologist who I already mentioned, as a psychologist, he studies um, neuroplasticity. And so neuroplasticity is the idea that your brain can actually change over time, that it isn't just fixed and stuck in one particular way. And it has to do with how our neurons are connected. We have neurons in our brains, and um, synapses between these neurons fire based on the things that we've uh, experienced, based on the things that we've thought, based on the relationships that we have. Um, and so much of this has to do with uh, the, the, how much we tread the path of those neurons. Um, so let me give you an example. Um, I smoked for 14 years, smoked cigarettes for 14 years. And I have not smoked for almost 18 years now. It's been a long time since I've had a cigarette. But in 14 years of smoking, my neurons made a lot of connections about smoking within my brain. So that even now, after almost 18 years of not smoking a cigarette, I could be in a certain circumstance, or maybe having a certain kind of food or something like that, maybe even just in a certain place, and my brain will tell me, Mike, it's time for a cigarette. <laughs> and it's tempting. Because that pathway in my brain was heavily worn over 14 years. Now, you maybe have never smoked before. If you haven't, uh, good for you. Don't start now. Uh, just stay off of them. That's a good thing to do. But still, your brain has many, many 
connections like this, based on your experiences, your relationships, the conversations you've had, or just the things that you think or the things that you feel. And these things are primarily formed by what we attend to. When we put our attention on something, our brain just lights up and starts to make all of these different connections for us. That's why attention is so important. And it's why I said to you earlier that being attentive will connect you to the love of God. Kurt Thompson, uh, he says that for all of his patients, this is one of the most important questions that he'll ask them. How are you paying attention to what you're paying attention to? which is a hard thing to really think about. But again, this is why I said being attentive connects us with the love of God. But it depends on what we are actually being attentive to. What are we giving our attention to? Because there are all sorts of things we can give our attention to. And when we do, again, our brain lights up and begins to make all of those connections for us. If they're well-worn connections, like it was for me with smoking, or maybe it can be with self-loathing, or maybe it can be when we uh, feel judgment toward another person, or maybe it can be in how we view who God is in some way that is not who he actually is. We can wear those paths in our brains again and again, and again, and each time we do that, we make it stronger. So a thought comes into my head, God doesn't love me because of this. And I think it again, and again, and again, and again, and that pathway in my brain gets stronger and stronger. Until I put my attention on something else. Until I put my attention on something like John 3.16. For God so loved the world, including you and including me, that he gave his one and only son. That's how much you're worth. So that you wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. If I ever feel like God doesn't, love me, I can choose to go down that path and give that my attention. Or I can redirect my attention and build some new bridges in my brain and say, yeah, God does, actually. And he showed me how he loved me. And he showed me how sacrificial that love was. And he showed it by giving it to the whole world. So I know I can never earn it. And I never did. And he loves me Anyway, put your attention on that. Or maybe you just had your attention on your drawing this whole time. <laughs> what, what is it that you drew? What did you draw? Anything, uh, anything in particular? Actually, I, I don't have time to take comments right now. I just got to keep on moving on. I'm sure you guys are getting impatient. 
The, the, the reason why I gave you that piece of paper is because creativity actually is a way of capturing our attention. Now, for some of you, when you doodle, it actually hones in your attention on maybe somebody who's speaking. And for some of you, it just pulls your attention completely away from that and focuses it on something else. And that's okay, too. But creativity is, again, one of those things. If you get a concept in your mind and you decide to do something creative about it, all those lights are just going off in your head. So it may be something that you want to try practicing Drawing the love of God in some way. Letting those connections form in, uh, in your brain. I want to give you one other thing to go home with here that's going to be kind of an experiential exercise for you to uh, hopefully hone in a little bit more and connect with the love of God. And this exercise is designed specifically to exercise your attention and to focus your attention on something that has been declared good by God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church about the fruit of the Spirit. He said, the fruit of the Spirit, that is when we're walking with the Spirit, and we have the life of the Spirit in us, is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The invitation that I want to give you for this exercise is that as you go out from this place, or even before you go out, think about one of those and choose one of them. And then focus your attention on that one word, that one concept for the next seven days. And then if you want to, pick another one for the next seven days. All day long, in your relationships, in your work, when you're at home, whatever it might be, keep that word in your mind. Put your attention on it the whole time and see how it affects your way of thinking and how you relate to other people and maybe even how you understand God or maybe even how that fruit starts to build itself up and grow in your life in some way. And before we leave here today, we're about to go into communion uh, after you take communion or before you take communion, I'd invite you to go to one of our tables here for the last part of our art piece. We have one upstairs as well. Uh, and on the piece of paper that's at the table, write down which fruit of the Spirit you chose and put it in the bowl. And that's going to be the final component, component that our artists add this week uh, to our Emotions of God art piece. All right, let's move into communion here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God gave his son. His son took on flesh. And then that flesh, that body was broken and his blood was poured out. He said, remember me. Every time you do this, put your attention on me. So I invite you as you come up for communion to put your attention on the love of God, his sacrificial love for you. Communion host, you can come on 
forward. Uh, people in the balcony, please come down for communion. Just gather around one of the tables here. The host will serve you communion and pray for you. If you can't come up to the table, just raise your hand and an usher will bring you a little cup of communion. And don't forget to participate in our um, art piece as well. Mm-hmm.